Jennifer Y is a librarian at the Toronto Public Library's Osborne Collection of Early Children's Books. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so, first question is why should the literary tourist visit your collection? Why? Well, we have a lot of really cool, neat things in the collection. Uh, we have a lot of unique item pieces. You know, it's one of those things where you do you wouldn't get to see firsthand in any public library, but we are a public library, but we have original art pieces, original manuscripts. We have rare items that just make you go, oh, wow, this is what it really looks like, you mm -hmm. know. Um, this is how it started off. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why we definitely love to showcase those pieces. We have one of the 250 uh, self-published Beatrix Potter books uh, in our collection that we like to show off to people. It's similar to the ones that we see nowadays, but it's really unique to see how, how she stuck to her ground in keeping it what she originally intended it to be. Well, and the original looks just as if it would published by a professional publisher, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The fact that she spent her own money and says, this is what I want, and it has not changed. Yeah. We also carry uh, one of the oldest items in the Toronto Public Library collection, cuneiform tablets. Other items, definitely original artworks. Uh, we've got artworks from Barbara Reed. That's, that's actual plasticine, isn't actual it? Actual plasticine. Yeah. Um, so we are tr really gentle with it just because we don't <laughs> want anything to fall off. Yeah, it's under glass. It's under glass for sure, yeah. in a frame. Yeah. Uh, and of course, we have uh, the facilities to make sure to preserve and conserve it. We also have artworks from Edward Gorey, uh, Maury Sindak. Now, uh, Sindak, you mentioned that did the, you know, what, your logo? or Yeah, so he actually drew our griffin for us uh, that we use in a lot of our merchandise. In 1979, after visiting us uh, at the Boys and Girls House, we asked him to draw a picture. And then the cool story about that is uh, it was used to our advantage when we wanted to invite future authors and illustrators, one of them being J.K. Rowling uh, in to October of 2000, she was invited to the department. Do what? Just you know, because we actually have lectures three times a year. Okay. Uh, so we kind of wanted her to come to one of our fall lectures. To be the lecturer. To be the lecturer. Initially, uh, her people. Basically, yeah, her people. She had people. She had people at that then. point because she was huge already. She was right? already huge. Yeah. Uh, Basically, her people said no because they wanted her to write more books and continue writing the <laughs> series. We were on the no pile, and somewhere in that no pile, she just saw our envelope that had a picture of our Maurice and Dak Griffin. And, and she picked it up, and she's like, read the letter, and she's like, I'm interested. I'm interested in coming down. So it was agreed that she would come to visit, but of course, she just got too famous and was pulled from our visit just because it made sense to have her do a visit at the Ro at the current Roger Center, but at the time it was called Skydome to do a huge reading event. But she ended up doing a secret visit because she still wanted to see the collection and she was kind enough to do so and sign and draw a little drawing for us as well. So it was a really nice treat to have her come in. Very nice and memorable trip. Okay. So what else you got? Let's see. We also have a, a manuscript uh, by Eleanor Muir. And Eleanor Muir isn't a famous author or illustrator, but she is a very 
well-loved aunt that basically in 1831 decided to translate into paper and pen uh, and into book form of the story of the three bears. Now, the story of the three bears originally was an oral tale, mm -hmm. and then she transcribed it into book form for her nephew. And it's very different from what we now know. Um, without spoiling the story, um, the main character, as we know nowadays, is Goldilocks. But the story in Eleanor Muir's is Silverlocks. An old woman. Then. An old older woman. And the her end isn't quite as pleasant. No, a lot of um, fairy tales are quite grim. So you've got the original uh, handwritten manuscript, yeah, manuscript. And, and the actual little paintings that she did yes. to accompany it. Did she go ahead and then get that published with a publisher? Or? No, it was just a gift gifted down to her nephew. Someone has uh, identified that as the first yeah. example? Yeah, just by the date that she had included in it. Um, eight, I think she was sometime in September 1831. Her, hers was a first written documentation of that. Okay, what else we got? We definitely have a great collection of pop-up books. Yeah, and that's something that's close to your heart. It is close to my heart, just because that's how I came to know about the Osborne collection itself. Um, I personally collect pop-up books, and in 2012, Matthew Reinhardt, which is a very famous uh, paper engineer, he was here for a lecture, and he was able to sign the books that I carried. And Which books were those? Um, one of them was definitely the Star Wars ones that he has done. That, is that what he's best known for? No, he's known for just so many. He keeps on creating so much content. Okay. Uh, one of his fairies books... And also another, I think it was the DC Superheroes one. That's pretty cool. I, I have to show you sometime. Uh, what are the really coolest things that we have in this collection? Sorry, what was the name of the, the very kind of early pop-up uh, or oh, yeah. moving Movable picture? Books. Yeah. Yeah, we have, uh, we have a lot of copies of Meg, uh, Lothar Megendorfer, who is also a well-known uh, a paper engineer in, in his own right. The Movable Book Society actually have an award named after him. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a couple of originals. Uh, we show off the facsimiles just because it shows the actual movement of the books. Mm -hmm. But it's really cool to see 100 to 200 year old pop-up books. Things that I don't have in my collection, but this is as close to having it. What about, uh, I'm thinking of uh, Naughty and uh, Rupert the Bear. Does that ring a bell with you at all, those two? Uh, I'm not super familiar with them. Okay. Uh, we probably do have them. We have all the colored fairy Andrew Lang books. People love seeing them all the laid spine out. Is nice. Exactly, yeah. especially yeah. the blue one being a really big favorite. Mm. Uh, we also have a really cool letter uh, written by Andrew Lang's wife, Leonora, or Nora as she's named. Uh, where she has actually told somebody in the letter saying, no, like, she is known for helping writing the book, but she has stated in the letter saying, I actually was more than just a helper. I, I did a lot of work in sounds, there. Sounds typical. The the wife or the woman doesn't get as much credit as she deserves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was one of those things where she, she, she threw in her two cents saying, nope, mm -hmm. I actually did do a lot of work. And you've got this letter? Uh, yeah, we acquired this letter. And so how, who's the letter written to? I'm actually not sure. Her penmanship is a little hard to read. Okay. Uh, but we, I was able to figure out the, the section that says, hey, please get, recognize, give me recognition sure. for this. 
Okay. Uh, another cool thing, we actually recently acquired a Tolkien letter. He has written to a fan. It's two stories in the sense that we had some people that stumbled by the department. Um, these uh, teenagers over the summer were in the middle of a break and they stumbled upon our department. They were looking at all these old items that they have never seen before. And I was like, oh, I don't know if you're a fan of Tolkien, but we have acquired this letter recently. And basically he's writing to one of his fans and the fan had written to him in like fairy speaker or something. Okay. And Tolkien obliged and wrote back in, you know, in kind of middle English, in middle English. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, are you a fan? He's like, I'm a super fan. I was like, oh, how are you a super fan? And he pulls up his necklace that has... <laughs> has a copy of the Lord of the Rings ring. Okay. So that was a really sweet moment. So when did the uh, collection, was it someone that donated their collection to start it off? Or oh, how, yeah. How did um, that happen? So how did it all happen was it started with the librarian Lillian H. Smith. Now, she was born in uh, 1887, and what she's known for is she's actually the first uh, officially trained children's librarian. So what had happened was in 1912, um, Toronto Public Library recognized that there was increasing demand for children's services, and the chief librarian at the time, uh, George Locke, uh, recruited Lillian H. Smith to say, hey, you, you sound like uh, someone that would be perfect to be the head of that department of children's services. So, so she was hired in 1912. Uh, her career spanned for 40 years from 1912 to 1952. Mm -hmm. And during that time, she started training librarians, uh, building collections for it, programs around it. She was able to establish 16 branch libraries to have a children's section. Um, then, of course, 30 schools, two settlement houses, and of course, the end goal was she made, um, she had the first official branch, uh, the Boys and Girls House, at St. George Street um, in, in September 27, 1922. And that was specifically there to house children's books? Yeah, specifically there, just devoted to children's books. Uh, it was the first library in the British Empire just exclusively to children's. Okay. So definitely uh, a force. The The British librarian, uh, Edgar Osborne, had heard about her and he <laughs> was just someone had heard of her because he had a personal passion of children's books himself. In 1934, he came to Toronto to visit and meet with Lillian H. Smith at the Boys and Girls House. Uh, what had happened was, you know, they were comparing notes. They clearly had hit it off. Mm -hmm. uh, and they didn't get married, did they? No, they okay. didn't. He was actually here with his wife, uh, Mabel, so, okay. uh, who also shared the same passion with children's literature. And what happened was, you know, a conversation between Mabel Osborne and Edgar Osborne was like, what should we do with all our lovely stuff? And so 15 years later, when his wife Mabel had passed, the idea was, we should donate it to Toronto Public Library the, uh, in, in care of Lillian H. Smith because she would definitely know what to do with our collection. So in 1949, that's when they started. Uh, started with 2,000 items, and it has grown beautifully to, I can, I'm happy to say, 90,000 pieces now. Mm, so okay. it definitely you, has grown. And it sounds like you're still uh, still acquiring to this day. Yeah, we're definitely still acquiring today. What are you after? 
what do we, so many things. It's really hard to pinpoint. Uh, We all work with a lot of antiquarian book dealers. Uh, Um, Like who, for example? uh, One, like, well, for the token letter, it was with Justin Schiller in New York. Okay. Yeah, so in other, you know, um, UK or... Uh, we, we, we collect around the world uh, just because we can't just f- solely dedicate it to one antiquarian book dealer. Well, one dealer wouldn't have everything to eat. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So it's just impossible in that respect. Uh, so we buy as much as we possibly can uh, that works for our department with our own libra- library materials budget. The other thing is that we have the great help of actually the Friends of the Osborne Collection. Yeah. Which is a group that, you know, um, they are definitely our hugest supporters. They raise funds, I guess. Yeah, they raise funds for special projects that go beyond our budget uh, for special items to purchase. They also will raise funds for special projects like conservation work, digitization, other projects that just make sense to help uh, supplement the collection. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we also acquire items through donations of actual pieces. Yeah. Um, so we'll have people that are just so generous that they themselves either, like Edgar Osborne, were, it was their hobby, just like myself, in collecting pop-up books. Mm. Maybe I'll donate my collection <laughs> to the Osborne collection. Tell, tell me a bit about your collection. Let's, uh... I have about 50 pieces. Okay. I had to stop because I um, the casualties of being a librarian, you just run out of shelf space. And pop-up books, they take a lot of shelf space. Mm-hmm. But I'm in the fortunate position to be in a department that also collects them. So this is now my surrogate shelving space in some ways or another. Yeah, in other words, you get to use someone else's money to buy the stuff? Yeah. You don't own it, but I don't still own you it. get the fun of going after it. Yeah, and I think the other pleasure that I get out of it is I get to share people look to see these items because they don't get to see them in the regular branches as or handle them and see them face to face as much as you, you would in a normal branch and to be able to see it here in fairly good condition they are able to actually handle it mm-hmm. um so we do have people that donate their own personal pieces through their childhood or through their own personal hobby uh we also have illustrators and authors themselves who uh work on their projects and they're kind enough to donate their pieces as well. The originals, yeah. The, their originals, um, and it's really a delight to see the the changes, either subtle or huge. One of our cool pieces are archives. Uh, Kathy Stinson, who is the mm. author of Red is Best, uh, she has a really cool archive in that it's a collection of her experiences with her first book, Red is Best. And, you know, from rejection letters to final acceptance letters mm-hmm. to the work in progress and title. So it's really fascinating to see what her experience was like. Um, and then we'll have uh, authors like Linda Granfield, who is so, so organized and does a lot of research. Um, she'll provide us with things of what started her research whether they have uh, worked out or not, you know, just a various I mean, ideas. Ideas of, of what you might write a book yeah, about? Yeah, like she'll do a little preliminary research on items mm-hmm. and then it either gets sidetracked or maybe it gets built into something. So mm-hmm. it's really cool to see her archives as well. Her kind uh, of creative process. Her creative process for sure and just the little notes that she have. I think one, she's like, oh, I'm not sure so much about this illustration. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like the little notes that you're like, Oh, that was what she was thinking at that time. So we're at the corner of Spadina and College in, yes. in Toronto. 
So anyone can just come in anytime? Yes. Or should they call in advance or? Uh, anyone can come in any like any time when they happen to stumble, just like those three boys that just happen to have a day in the summer where they're just stumbling across the city and they're like, oh, well, this looks neat. Let me yeah. come up. You can also call us um, just because, you know, we are we are just like, what do you like? We yeah. try to pick their brains. Like if I like Rupert the Bear or yeah. if I like or Arthur Ransom, you would pull out what you've got on them. Right? Exactly. But sometimes when we have a little bit of a heads up sometimes, or we can even arrange for a, a class visit or a special booking, uh, we get to, you know, I think what it is is that we love showing the stuff. Mm. And the more time we get to think about what your question sure. is, just because clearly we don't run like a normal branch where it's just on mm. this particular file down the author's last name because we have different mediums and types of stuff they are stored in different sections and we want to make sure we try to give you as much bang for your buck in your visit sometimes but no bucks involved though no bucks involved just because the the whole thing is we are part of a public library and Toronto Public Library is a public department and Mm -hmm. of course that's the good thing about our collection right and you're open... Uh, 10 to 6, 10 Monday to, 6. to Friday, Saturdays, okay. 9 to 5. Okay. Anything else you want to say about the collection that we may have... Overlooked? Well, we also have, we have four parts to our collection that okay. I can elaborate on. So the collection, of course, we have uh, Osborne's collection um, yeah, of the, the 2,000 original. items. Yeah. Uh, of course, he also has further donated other pieces as well. Okay. Um, some notable pieces in his collection are the 14th century uh, Aesop's fable that's made out of vellum. Uh, we've got 15th century traditional tales. Uh, we've got some 16th century school texts and also courtesy types of materials. Godly Puritan works. We've got 18th century chapbooks that, and moral tales that really just shape a young child at the time. You showed me that horn... Uh- a horn book, yeah. yeah. So a horn book is I what I would like to c- compare to contemporary times as like a form of a textbook. It's a primer, has alphabets or numbers, uh, and basically it's uh, boiled horn. So that it's sort of translucent. Yeah, it's gelatinous, like, and it creates a soft film. And once it hardens, it's like it looks like plastic, really. Yeah. It looks it's, like a little mirror with uh, letters or whatever it is that you're exactly supposed to learn. Yeah. Exactly, and a child is either supposed to trace it with their fingers to learn how to, because there was no pen and paper, so they traced it with their finger how to learn the alphabet, mm. or they grabbed a piece of twig and traced it on the ground. Uh, and and they're really cool to see, and it's one of those things where we have a few versions of it. Yep. Uh, we also have one that's made out of ivory for a wealthy child, so mm-hmm. a governess would teach the child how to learn their alphabets and one, two, threes on that. So those are really neat. In his collection, he also was able to acquire some of Florence Nightingale's childhood collection, so that's pretty neat to people to see. Uh, we also have some of Queen Mary's child- childhood books as well. Okay. So that's really cool to Where see. Where does Queen Mary fit in? He had collected what he had at the time, but worked his way backwards. Okay. And so it was just something that he just happened and thought it was a neat thing to have. But Queen Mary, was it Queen Mary? So she was George's husband or which one? Do you remember? I we honestly don't. We don't have to don't. go there. Okay. okay. 
yeah, so there was that. Uh, and that's, so there's four areas. There was the Osborne collection. Of course, we have some of Lillian H. Smith's collection. Yeah. So what she thought was best into adding into her uh, collection, just because she, you know, established herself as being uh, someone as what is best for children. One of her favorite sayings is the right book to the right child at the right time. So she definitely played a key role and she edited guidebooks for boys and girls. She was involved in issuing this guide for libraries across Canada and beyond. Like that, what recommended reading? Yeah, recommended readings for various age groups, what she thought would be uh, good to start with, you know, and build towards. And she just created her own kind of like best of list. And so much so that even the American uh, Library Association in 1953 published her seminal book, uh, The Unreluctant Years, A Critical Approach to Children's Literature. She's definitely uh, a force just because she, in during that time of spearheading the children's department, she was also a lecturer at the U of Toronto, University of Toronto okay. from 1913 to 1952. I wonder if there's um, a biography of her, is there? There are a few books. Um, there's, a, there's a short children's book version of her that has all the nice factoids about her. About her. Yeah. Um, there's also some other more uh, heavier research items as well uh, that we have in our collection. I see. Yeah. Okay. In our collection of her section we have some really cool items that fit along those guidelines we also have a canadiana collection that includes alligator pie i bet very much so alligator pie uh, we try to have representative uh, collection of 19th and 20th century children's books uh, that are related to canada or whose authors and illustrator publishers mm -hmm. are significantly associated with canada we have all the first editions of lm montgomery's and series we also have a copy of an illustrated comic alphabet, which is actually widely uh, considered to be the first children's picture book in Canada. Other items that we also have, we also have the Jean Thompson collection of original art. That's her art? No, not her art. She's actually a, um, basically a librarian in the Toronto Public Library and in dedication of, I guess, uh, her interest in art. Um, there were initially 5,000 pieces. That were eventually used in books, you mean? Uh, used in books. Either Sometimes it could be just original draft pieces as well. Um, so we would have something like Walter Crane, Randolph Caldecott, Kate Greenway, Arthur Rackham. So originals from all of these. Yeah, originals from all of them. Um, so uh -huh. Maurice Sindak would definitely f fall into that. Barbara mm. Reed. Wow, so that's... Uh long list of uh, reasons yes <laughs> for the literary tourist to come and visit the osborne collection of early children's books and you're located uh 239 college street main intersection is spadina and college on the southeast corner do you have an easy website or is it a long one? Easiest one is probably go to our, our library's website, which is www.tpl.ca, and just simply type the Osborne Collection. It's probably the easiest way to get into our website. Okay. Thank you, Jennifer Y. Thank you for having me. Bye for now. Bye.